Lord, the gifts to which Paul directs us in this reading are all speaking gifts. And as I speak, may your Holy Spirit be alive and working in each one of us to direct us to Jesus Christ, that we may be built up in him. Amen. Well, the reading that uh, you've just heard was exactly the same reading as last week. We haven't made a mistake. Uh, But what we wanted to do was to focus on two different ways of tackling the same passage. Uh, Last week, Will focused on the uh, the degree, the, the emphasis that there is in this passage, especially at the beginning, on things being the same. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And I set uh, this up a long time ago when I was preparing the preaching rote. I thought, okay, that's the same, so let's make the theme of tonight different. Because from verse 7, the differences start to open up. That's what I intended to do. But uh, something's changed. Uh, What I'd like you to do is just talk to your neighbour for a moment um, about a moment in your life when, uh, might be recent, might be a long time ago, might be trivial, might be serious, just a moment when you changed your mind. And to give you a moment to think, I'll burble for a moment more, um, I... uh, I used to enjoy a cigar, an occasional cigar, in case you're worried about my health, a very occasional cigar, and I think I've changed my mind. I think I just don't like them anymore. I love the smell of the smoke. I'm very happy. If you want to to smoke a cigar near me, I'll passively uh, inhale as much as uh, as, as you want to give out. But I'm just not sure I enjoy smoking a cigar as much as I used to. So there you are. I've kicked you off with a modicum of self-revelation. So, you know, you can go there a bit, uh, or or you can make it trivial or serious. So off you go. Just a minute or so with your neighbour. Okay. I hope uh, I know it wasn't very long. I hope you had a chance to change ends, and uh, for uh, and I know that for some of you, it doesn't matter what I say for the next twenty minutes, you're going to go home and say, "Do you know Alan used to smoke cigars?" But anyway, there we are. We'll live with it. Uh, I've changed my mind about what this passage is saying. Uh, Whether you'll go home and remember that, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, But what I want to draw attention to is that the gifts... We're going to focus around verses 11 and 12. Please find the passage, page 1175. The gifts that uh, Paul mentions here uh, are not quite functioning the way I thought they were. The first thing to say 
is that this gift list is special. When um, I first became a Christian in the late 70s, um, the, the kind of the air was full of um, people discovering charismatic gifts and people writing incredibly dull books with about 22 chapters going through each gift that's mentioned in the New Testament. Well, you can imagine how boring 22 chapters on anything is, really. But um, they just lumped everything there. They just threw down everything. that Every time they came across a gift, they, they put it down. And one of, the, one of the unfortunate casualties of that was that we missed the fact that each time there's a list of gifts, they're doing something different in their particular context. So, for example, Jonathan reminded us at the start of our service that this list that we have in verse 11 here tonight, for a start, they're all people. It's not the only list that has people, but these are all people, and they're actually all speaking gifts. And the other lists, you can look in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, whatever they may be, and they will be special to what they're doing in that particular context. But these we have to pay attention to, not just say they're any old list of five that he happened to pull out of thin air. Uh, Difficult verses, seven through to ten. After all these ones, there's one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so on. But to each one of us, verse seven, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Doesn't mean in different measure, it means that Christ was the one handing out. Uh, the, the graces. And this quotation uh, that Jonathan touched on comes from uh, Psalm uh, 68, uh, and Paul's taking it to be a psalm about Jesus, that when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. That is, he had people with him, and he gave gifts back to humankind. Uh, So what does, then verse 9, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended? Uh, It looks like around Paul's time, they were kind of wondering how the the ascending and descending that goes on in Psalm 68 related to Jesus. And and I'm not going to go into the detail here, because it's not where I want to focus, but that's what it looks like 9 and 10 are about. So 10, he who descended, came down to earth, is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. Christ filling the whole universe, chapter 1 of Ephesians, it's fundamental that whatever God is up to, he is uh, about the business of seeing Christ fill everything that there is. So, from that, we lead straight into uh, verses 11 and 12. And I want to begin with what we know, which is actually at the end for, for reasons of memorizing, I'm going to talk about pastors here, what you have as pastors here, as shepherds. It's, pastor is Latin, shepherd is English. They're exactly the same word. Uh, shepherds and teachers. The church needs, obviously, those who will teach. And in this context, it seems to mean, because of what's around it, those who will care by their speaking. So we're not just talking about hugs here. Hugs are important. Um, but... Uh, yes, you heard it here first. Um, but, um, uh, but, but care through uh, speaking. In a sense, it's a, it's a speaking hug. It's kind of, let me explain to you why you matter so much to God. And there's some evidence, and it's difficult to say, but there's some evidence of a close connection between the work of a pastor 
and the work of a teacher. Now, so for the sake of memory, Andrew, can we have the first slide? I want to put S and T together, shepherd, teacher, and we get the abbreviation ST for a saint. Thank you, Andrew, again. There we are. There's our saint. Now, is that enough? Is that enough in the church to have shepherds and teachers? Well, you'd have to do the reading I've done this week to see how hard all the biblical commentators are working to say something like this. Well, apostles and prophets and evangelists were foundational for the church's work in the early days. But those days are over. The church is now uh, left with shepherds and teachers, and yes, uh, to some extent, they may have ministries that touch on apostles and prophets and evangelists, but it's shepherds and teachers all the way now. And this is Paul's attempt in this verse to raise up the status of shepherds and teachers and say, do you know they're as important as the early leaders, the apostles and prophets and evangelists? And so many of the books that I've read this week tried to say that. They do say that. But there isn't any evidence. There isn't the least scrap of evidence. There's lots of interpretation. Flick with your eye uh, to uh, chapter 2 and verse 20 just on the facing page. Members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Well, if the foundation is the apostles and prophets and the foundation is behind us, therefore apostles and prophets must be behind us. And some people will reckon that it's simply self-evident that the authoritative role of apostles and prophets It's evidently faded away. So we're left with the shepherds and the teachers. But look much more closely to the reading that we had tonight. Verse 7 of chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Verse 16. uh, It goes a bit further on than our passage. As each part does its work, So if those commentators that I've read are right, what it means is that when Paul is speaking of the gifts of the ascended Christ to his church, in verses 7 to 11, what he means is this. Christ gave gifts. Now some of them, of course, have a sell-by date and will self-destruct after a century or so. I struggle to believe that that's what Paul meant writing this down. Some of you know I've just finished, uh, or I've just submitted, I haven't quite finished, but I've submitted a dissertation, uh, a thesis on the work of John Calvin that I've been working on for a couple of years. And now, with my master's finished, I can finally come out and say it. Sometimes Calvin was wrong. Uh, and this is one of the times in which he was wrong. He's, he's, he loves his shepherds and teachers, but he regards apostles, prophets, and evangelists as just definitely uh, yesterday's reality. Quite clearly, if you read Calvin on this, he he reads his own experience, his own times of the church, back into the experience of the early church. Now, yes, there are some things that we have to say are special. There are apostles, perhaps this is those mentioned in 220, that are unique and irreplaceable. Uh, This morning, in fact, we touched on Acts 1, And in Acts 1, they're irreplaceable. 
So when one of them goes and has to be replaced, they have to go through a process so that they will be again the twelve. And then again, tradition, reasonably enough, thinks of the writing apostles and includes Saint Paul himself. Not one of the twelve, but an apostle. But then you can go a bit further out, and you can see that in uh, the book of the Acts, Paul travels with Barnabas. Now, the writing apostles are those who laid down apostolic doctrine for all time, but Barnabas didn't write anything that got, got into Scripture, but he's still called an apostle. Clearly, some people are afraid that if we open up the notion of apostles uh, to a later date, then we're opening the door to a possible claim that perhaps modern-day apostles, perhaps I could stand in the pulpit and say, well, I'm an apostle, and this is what you've got to believe. I'm going to tell you doctrine. But there's no reason to give in to that kind of fear. And that's just going through what apostles might be. We may have to go more widely than just shepherds and teachers in every age. Next slide, please, Andrew. There were certainly those wandering around the ancient world called prophets and evangelists. And doesn't it make sense that, particularly, I hope this will uh, hit home if you were here last week, It's clear that verses 1 to 6 of chapter 4, one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and so on, that's universal for all time. So why would it be in Paul's mind to say in uh, verses 1 to 6, what's in my mind is what's universal for all time, but now I'm going to go skip back and talk only about what happened once. Doesn't it make more sense that he simply means the word apostle in a different sense from the way he means it earlier. And actually, 7 to 13 is intended by him to be just as universal, and that means that we need to consider what apostles, prophets, and evangelists, thank you, Andrew, might look like. An apostle, (laughs) after all, is simply one who has been apostoloed. That is, they've been sent. The evangelist tells out the gospel wherever they happen to be located. But an apostle is sent, someone identified to go with the authority of the church under its head, Jesus Christ, to be sent and to take the good news probably to a new location and culture. The prophet has always been someone who tells out God's word, who reads the situation as God sees it, Prophets tend to be the uncomfortable characters in a church. Those who kind of remind you of what you sort of hoped you could get away with forgetting. The evangelist gathers people like a flame gathers moths. People just want to be around an evangelist character, and that gives them a chance to speak the gospel. Now, next week... We're going to go on into verses 14 through to 19. We're going to look at love, and we're going to look at lust. I mention that now in case you want to make your uh, arrangements for for next Sunday evening. But I want to peek a little bit forward uh, just now. If Paul has an anxiety 
then verse 14 tells us that proper growth in the church of God is inhibited by false teaching. So it's not surprising that verse 11 has the speaking gifts. Maturity means holding fast to the right teaching as it's brought by apostles and prophets and evangelists, as well as by shepherds and teachers. All of them work together. Now, I reckon it's not difficult for me to find shepherds and teachers. The theological colleges of the Church of England churn us out in droves. But I find myself, as a shepherd teacher, calling out to God and saying, Lord, send me apostles, prophets, and evangelists. Lord, send me apes. I thought that might be a helpful visual just for remembering uh, what chapter 4 and verse 11 of Ephesians is about, the halo over an ape. But do try to remember it as an ape and not as a gorilla, or you'll get very confused trying to think what the gifts of God might be. (laughs) The point of all these ministries is to prepare or to complete God's people, verse 12, to offer works of service, second part of verse 12, and to build up the body of Christ. And that is in order, verse 13, first to reach unity. Uh, Pause. It's unity in the faith, notice. That's not, not, therefore, any old unity. It matters what we believe. It's not unity in faith, even. It's unity in the faith. There is a content to Christian belief, to what we know. We will get to unity of heart and to love. Uh, That's going to come back in verse 16, having been a big part of verses 1 to 6. But what we believe, the content does matter. So it's right that when we come together, we say, this is what we believe and it matters. So we reach unity in the faith. Secondly, we reach uh, the knowledge of the Son of God. Specifically, unity in the faith is about what we know about Jesus. And that's how we become mature. And then thirdly, attaining to the whole measure, still in verse 13, of the fullness of Christ. That the church of God is being built into this body that is as cosmically great as is Christ himself, the fullness of Christ. Now, all of those three things are here already. There is already unity. There is already knowledge of the Son of God. There is already, according to chapter 1, a fullness to the life of the church. But there's also a not yet. It's as though, um, as though uh, paper has been cut and a shape has been defined. And the shape is there. But there's also a living into that shape of what's there in principle. And that may seem frustrating. Why why work and pray for something if it's there already? But actually think it through. If, If it's not there, and it's our job to bring the fullness of Christ, then that would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we feel completely overwhelmed by the scale of that task? 
And wouldn't we, tempt, we be tempted to pride as, as we saw it coming to pass? On the other hand, if none of what we do in giftedness matters, if the fullness of Christ just descends uh, from heaven like an alien ship, then what we are doing is pointless. We don't want to be overwhelmed. We don't want to think we're pointless. It's a good title for an afternoon TV show, but it's a rubbish notion for a Christian life. There is that sense of a now, a unity, knowledge, the fullness of Christ, but also a not yet. There's something to grow into. Now, what that means, that's, that's all of what I've changed my mind about, because I'd have been a Calvin earlier I think, I think I've grown up being taught that, well, this is really about shepherds and, and, and teachers, and the rest were kind of, well, it's a bit embarrassing, so we'll forget about that. I don't see any reason to forget about them at all. And so immediately we have to say, well, that means that in the Church of God and in Holy Trinity, therefore, there should be apostles and prophets and evangelists as well as pastors and teachers. It probably means some of you. It challenges me to spot gifts in people where I may not have seen them to see some who I know to be extremely sensitive, quite possibly as exercising gifts of prophecy, uh, to see some who are not easy followers, probably as being apostles, because God intends them to be sent somewhere and to lead in their own right. Let me illustrate with a comparison of what it's brought me to. It's a comparison from this week's news. The government of the United States has been shut down. Those summoned to their roles cannot be paid. National parks, libraries, museums, whatever it may be. Now, it looks okay. The Capitol building has not yet collapsed. But the reality for millions of Americans will start to fade away if this doesn't get fixed. And it feels the same. If we only have shepherds and teachers, and we don't have apostles, prophets, and evangelists, if we don't have apes, then what we've really done is shut down the church. The form is there, the buildings are there, the people with dog collars who stand on platforms and in front of lecterns are still there. But the reality, the edge, will be absent. And the possibility of maturity will have faded away. Now, I am sure of that, of all that I've said so far. But I want to try out something else on you of which I'm less sure. There's one more thing that's worrying about this list. Here are these gift ministries. They're there to prepare and complete everybody else. That seems the case from verse 12. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are there to prepare God's people for works of service. So there's another group of people, God's people, and these five ministries are doing something with God's people. And yet that itself seems to me in tension with verse 7 to each one of us and with verse 16, each part does its work. And if we began for a minute with verse 7 and 16, we might find that those in verse 11 are actually, in this context, the only gifts that Paul is concerned with. And if you want to object, hang on, what about the other lists? Well, I'll come to that in a minute. If we said that those were the only gifts, then that would mean that in verse 12, the line that we have to prepare God's people for works of service can mean 
equally legitimately from the original. Uh, These are the gift ministers that exist as the completion, the word can mean preparation or completion, as the completion of God's people that Christ started. It wouldn't necessarily mean they are here to prepare another group of people called God's people, but they are the God's people whom Christ is completing as his people after his own startup of his church. And then if you look at those other gifts, what it would mean is that this list would be foundational, and I think verses 1 to 6 gives us that possible sense, one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, foundational. And all the others, all the other gifts that are mentioned in the list sort of take their place amongst the five foundational ones. There's no sense even that all the lists together are enough. There are more, I'm sure. It's just that gifts of administration are subordinate and a separate kind of list held perhaps alongside prophecy or teaching. Now, most threatening and disturbing of all, if this were the case, it would mean that you could not leave here this evening saying, well, I'm glad that there are apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers at my church. I'm just glad I'm not one of them. It would mean that you had to leave here tonight saying, okay, well, I may not be a a, a full-on, in-your-face apostle, but maybe there is something in me that needs to be called out and sent, perhaps to my workplace. I may not be a full-on, recognized, paid-up, card-carrying, wild-haired, locust-eating prophet, but maybe I am called to speak God's word in ways I haven't thought of before. Now, I said I can't be sure of this, but I am prepared to run a bit of a risk. And I'll say this, I would bet that we stand in much more need of waking up to the possibility of speech gifting among so-called ordinary Christians than we do to the possibility that there are ordinary Christians who need special people with speech gifts to minister to them. I doubt that Paul intends this five-fold ministry to be distributed amongst the church, where uh, in a church of 100, uh, 20 people fall into each box. And I doubt that he intends it to be seen as full-on intense for everybody. But I suspect he is saying something about the nature of foundational gifting for the life of the church, the same church that is one in spirit, one in faith, one in body, and so on. And I suspect we should, all of us, spend some time being open to the possibility, possibly encouraged by our friends, that wherever we feel we may be in the life of a congregation, and some of us will feel on the edge, actually, Some of us should be exercising pastoral gifts. Some of us should be exercising evangelistic gifts. Even some of us should be being apostolic. That I am less sure of.
but I put it out there. You can go away and read Ephesians and come back to me and let me know what you think. I certainly believe that we should look for the riskier option because our temptation will be to close down, to lose apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and to keep it nice and safe with people up the front who shepherd and teach. Whatever else is going on, I certainly am sure that there is more giftedness among us in apostleship, prophetship, and evangelismship than we take account of. That's probably a good place to stop, so let's pray. Just pay attention in the silence to your own sense of probable nervousness, I'm guessing. Someone walked up to you over coffee, and mercifully, you can take heart from the fact it's unlikely, but someone might walk up to you and said, you know, that gives me courage to say to you, I wonder whether you shouldn't be exercising a a ministry among us of evangelism or prophecy. Just recognize our own nervousness in the face of that kind of summons. Recognize how grateful you are that there is a great gulf fixed between your seating and my standing. Lord God, we thank you that the ascended Christ is still on high, that he has not lost his place, that the passing of the centuries has not made him bored with the praise and thanksgiving that belong to him. It's not old hat for him to summon people to new ministries and to a new life. Lord, I am a shepherd teacher, and I know how much we need apes. There are perhaps those among us who do either here or elsewhere exercise a ministry that looks a bit like that and think, oh, I could do with a bit of stabilizing. Hear that prayer too. But open our lips, we pray, that we may take risks for you wherever we may be placed, at work, at college, in the home, in our families. We thank you that as you've uh, summoned me to change my mind this week, so there is never a moment where you are not summoning us to change ourselves just a little bit more than we're comfortable for. Work through it, Lord, we pray, and never let us rest, except in the confidence of your love and your empowering spirit. Amen.